This is the Horse Radio Network. The weather outside is frightful, but HRN is so delightful. Time to get your voicemail entries in for the fifth annual Holiday Radiothon by Stateline Tech. It is your chance to win over $5,000 in prizes. What better gift can you receive at Christmas than cool horse stuff for you and your horse? Prizes this year include your choice of any Wintech saddle, up to a $1,500 value. Or you could win a $500 gift certificate from Kelly Heard Jewelry. Other great prizes from other great companies include Uncle Jimmy's, Kentucky Performance Products, Total Saddle Fit, Monty Roberts, Smooth Stride Jeans, Stateline Tack, Horse Lovers, Gene Abernathy, Cavallo Boots, Biostar, Horse Holster, Benefab, and many, many more. You have until November 18th to get your entries in. Visit HolidayRadiothon.com to see how to enter. That's HolidayRadiothon.com. Head on over today. You don't want to miss out. This is episode 19 of Retired Racehorse Radio on the Horse Radio Network, brought to you by Kentucky Performance Products, Cashel Products, and Bait Saddles. Retired Racehorse Radio is your guide to the adoption, care, and training of the retired racehorse, brought to you in cooperation with the Thoroughbred Makeover and New Vocations. Today, we are going to get a recap of the 2019 Thoroughbred Makeover and what's to come for 2020 with RRP Executive Director Jen Reutz, one of our lovely horse Radio Network friends and auditors, Lindsay Helmuth-Pierth is, is going to join us to talk about her experience in mounted archery and how she trained her OTTB rocket to do it. And our favorite vet, doctor of the show, Dr. Siemens, is going to join us again to talk about prepping your ex-racehorse for cold winter weather. And of course, we've got our new vocations, Winter Circle Adoptable Horse of the Week to top it all off. So stay tuned. And they're off on Retired Racehorse Radio, the podcast that is your guide to the adoption, care, and training of the retired racehorse. Well, this is Jamie Jennings in Norman, Oklahoma, and my co-host, Joy Hills. Well, you know, if you're going to have an excuse for not coming to work, then it's that your farrier was there and you're having to deal with some issues. So she's out in the barn with the farrier, and so I'm here all by my lonesome self to talk to you guys. And we've got an awesome show. We have so much going on. And uh, first, let's hear from our title sponsor, Kentucky Performance Products. Each week, you carefully plan out your horse's training schedule. You work with your trainer to fine-tune his flat work. You school through grids to perfect his jump and set up multiple courses to educate your eye. You enjoy long hacks to keep his mind fresh and body strong. Show day arrives. You take a deep breath as you enter the ring. We've got this, you whisper so only he can hear you. You move as one, sailing over each element in perfect harmony. The feeling you get when it all clicks. It's why we do what we do. This feeling is brought to you by Joint Armor. Joint Armor's complete formula provides your horse with the nutrients necessary to support healthy joints throughout his lifetime. Joint Armor maintains fluid motion and flexibility in hardworking joints. It supports normal cartilage development and reduces joint deterioration. 
joint armor provides high levels of both glucosamine and chondroitin, plus 100 milligrams of hyaluronic acid. Best of all, joint armor is affordable. One small jar lasts up to 75 days. The horse that matters to you matters to Kentucky Performance Products. Welcome to the show, Jen Reutz, the Executive Director of the Retired Racehorse Project. Girl, how was the makeover for you? The makeover was good. It, it was, dare I say, in my opinion, the best one we've had. It, you know, smoothest run. We had a ton of vendors, ton of competitors. The horses look better than they ever have. Like, the quality just keeps going up every year and the bar keeps getting raised. So we're really excited and the process has already started to plan for next year's makeover. <laughs> See, before we get to next year, I want to talk about again, how awesome the horses were like so much better than all the years past. I mean, especially, you know, it just seemed like a very competitive freestyle division. Is it me? <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> all of the divisions were really competitive, but yeah, like the, the top five, especially in the freestyle, unfortunately, I didn't get to see the, most of the preliminary rounds, but God, the top five were awesome. And, you know, like in ranch work, the horses were cowie and in the hunters and jumpers, like those horses knew their jobs and were really well conditioned and turned out, you know, like top to bottom, everyone looked so good. And it, it just seemed like people really are getting an understanding of what it takes to come to this competition to compete, you know? Right. I was kind of making a joke because I finished in, um, in freestyle in 11th place, one half of one point from a ribbon. So I would like uh, to make it next year ribbons to 11th. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Unbelievable. It was a really good experience, a really fun, uh, trip. And it was so fun to see everybody and meet everybody associated with it and kind of get to meet everybody that you follow along with. Because one of the cool things about being a competitor is you join a thoroughbred makeover Facebook page and it is just people helping each other and getting to know each other. And then when you finally get there, you're like, Oh, you're that girl that was on my Facebook friend. You know, it, it, it's a sense of community for the trainers for sure. Um, what are some of the, like, as far as being in charge of it, looking back, what do you think was the best change that you guys made or even you just know, the best part of it? As far as the changes we made, cause you know, every year we just, we really try to take feedback from competitors and vendors and spectators and people like that and really take it into account, be thoughtful about any change we made make, excuse me. And, um, this year I felt like the best enhancement and change that we made was to add the veterinary exams. Mm -hmm. Um, every horse that competed in the makeover had to pass an arrival exam, which included, you know, as you know, a check of all their vitals. So temper temperature and heart rate and whatnot, it had to pass, um, a walking soundness exam, you know, that if they go in the arena at greater speeds and a judge deems them unsound you know that's up to the judge or stewards and whatnot but you know to pass our arrival exam to be approved to warm up and compete they had to pass the soundness exam at the walk and they had to have a body condition score of four um, on the Henneke body condition scale which is the universal scale for measuring a horse's um, overall condition and they had to have a microchip which 
You know, every major breed registry is requiring microchips. The thoroughbred industry on the racetrack requires them now. The small animal world has required them for years for any kind of adoption and a lot of sales of, of animals. So we thought this was something that definitely would serve the horses well that are coming through this program and hopefully going on to great heights elsewhere. And so the horses looked awesome. We did a lot of education leading up to the makeover about the arrival exam because we did not want anyone to be blindsided and we really wanted to empower, especially the like people who are newer to retraining and restarting off-track thoroughbreds. We wanted to empower them with a lot of information and tools. So we did a lot of webinars about you know, nutrition and gastric health and soundness and hoof health and, you know, anything related to something that could help with that arrival exam. And we did articles in the magazine focused on that. We did a Q&A with our consulting veterinarian and she was available for anyone who, you know, leading up to the makeover in those last few months, who thought, you know, like, I feel like I'm doing everything I can, but my horse's weight isn't where I want it, or I'm really having trouble with his feet or whatever. And, you know, she was always available to you know, give them additional like one-on-one resources. So it felt like coming in, the horses looked so good. You know, they looked really, really good condition-wise, coat-wise. You know, it was not just about the training. Uh, What's coming up for next year? We are looking through all of the surveys. We sent out a really thorough survey and got lots of responses, which were fantastic and gave us really good insight into different people's experiences based on the division they were in or their experience level or their horse's temperament or things like that. So we're taking that into account, um, working a little bit more on a few of the divisions to just kind of strengthen the rules or refine the scenario. Um, Competitive trail was one that, you know, I think some people had some difficulty with that discipline. It's becoming a a much more popular discipline. Um, And I think it's not as mainstream as a lot of these other disciplines like dressage or jumpers or things like that. You know, competitive trail is its own discipline in the mainstream equestrian world, not just in our competition. And so I think this year we can do a little bit more to educate people about what competing in competitive trail is and how to best prepare your horse for all the different obstacles that are proved for that level of competition by their national standards. I think we'll probably do some refinement on the rules for eventing. Um, There were some aspects of the rules of eventing this year that were a little bit confusing with bonus fences, and we didn't realize how they could be confusing until they were put into play. And so that's something that we're working with our course designer and our judges from this past year and also a few other key people who have competed in that division for years at the upper level as well as in the makeover. So we'll make that a little bit more streamlined next year. Um, trying to think of what else. Oh, the big one I'd have to say would be, you know, the last few years for the finale, we've always done a text to vote, and that has decided the winner of the thoroughbred makeover. And that it has been great in the last few years. You know, the competition has grown so much in the last five years. And so I think it's been a text to vote competition for the last, I want to say three years. It could be four years, though. And before that, it was a panel of industry experts that chose the winner. We made the move to text to vote. I say we. I actually wasn't 
the executive director at that time. I was on the board and I can remember we made that move for specific reasons, basically because no one can be an expert in all 10 divisions. So it's very hard for a panel to be put together that can choose the winner when they're so diverse over 10 disciplines. So we went to the text to vote and that was great for a few years, but the competition has gotten so big that it's drawing the kind of people and professionals that might have a bigger social media following, which then kind of turns the tables on someone who's maybe like a really high level old amateur or a junior or just a professional that doesn't have as much of the following, but is, you know, legit and deserves it. And so that's one of the things we asked about in our survey this year is, you know, we had a couple ideas for how to structure that uh, differently. And we suggested a few of those as options people could choose from and then asked for other suggestions as well. And so I think we're definitely going to change from the text to vote next year, but we're talking with all of our judges and officials and our staff and our contractors and consultants to really hone in on what is the best way to choose the thoroughbred makeover champion going forward now that we are a much more legitimate national competition Mm -hmm. and, you know, decide on something that will stand the test of time, no matter how big we get year to year, what the different uh, aspects are as far as who's involved. We want it to be about the horse that performs the best. And so we're working on that right now. Well, wonderful. Where can people go? I mean, I guess it's time to start horse shopping and start getting them ready. So the what's the website people can go to if they have any questions? They can go to retiredracehorseproject.org. Um, we also have a classified section on there with uh, thoroughbreds only. They're both makeover eligible horses as well as horses that are further along in their careers. And there's a ton of aftercare organizations out there right now who are promoting the horses they have that are thoroughbred makeover eligible. So there's a ton to choose from out there right now. Everything from, you know, the TAA accredited organizations to like Cantor and Beyond the Finish Line. And Karma has a ton on the West Coast. So there's a lot out there to choose from. And then, you know, at the racetracks, now's the time when people start sending their horses to Florida for the winter. And if a horse isn't performing where it needs to be, that's a great time to make an offer on one if you have your eyes on one from the racetrack and want to try to pluck him for the makeover. So there's lots of options out there. All right. Well, it's retiredracehorseproject.org. As always, Jen, thank you so much for being such an awesome guest. And we look forward to talking to you again soon. Thanks so much, guys. Casual Company helps you enjoy the ride with their full line of trail bags and tush cushions. From kennel bags to horn bags and everything in between, comfort and convenience on the trail is what Cashel does best. To stay up to date with the latest products and news, follow Cashel Company on Facebook and Instagram. And to find their products, you can visit an authorized dealer or visit CashelCompany.com. I am pleased to welcome to the show Lindsay Helmuth Pierce to talk about her experiences with her off the track thoroughbred, Fat Rocket. Well, Rocket, but he's, you know, not skinny. And she's a mounted archer and is the, the kind of, I think you're the president of your chapter. Is that right? I'm the, the founder and whatever other official title you want to throw in there president, CEO. Uh, <laughs> Your chief, I I end up carrying all the equipment to and from each practice. It lives in my garage. I do a lot of 
emailing to make sure things happen, but. <laughs> okay. So you're just, you're, we're going to call you the executive director. We just had Jen on. You're the executive director of what, what do you call it? My club is the Mounted Archers of the Potomac. We are, I am located in Northern Virginia and our members come from all over Northern Virginia, Maryland, and Washington, D.C. Well, I, 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 I feel very close to Lindsay because she had a secret with me. If anybody saw Baby Root in my freestyle, uh, Lost My Way, and I did Mounted Archery. Did you ever see the full video, Lindsay? I did, and I think it was posted from several different angles, and I watched them all. You guys did such a great job. I was very proud. I was being judged by my coach. So Lindsay has been – I've been, first, I kind of came up with the idea to do the mounted archery, and I said, well, I know somebody online who does it. So Lindsay, I've never actually met, but she coached me via video for the last almost year, right? The internet is an amazing thing, isn't it? <laughs> it sure is. So she helped me do all my shopping for all the bows and arrows that I needed and all the different targets and all the quivers and things like that. So I really appreciate all your help. But uh, you are kind of a pro-mounted archer at this point, right? I don't know about that. There are certainly some really good people in the U.S. I don't think I count as one of them. I just have fun. It's a really great supplemental thing to do with my horse that, you know, kind of breaks up the the stupid circles as he definitely thinks about dressage <laughs> and gives us a little something extra to do while also, you know, keeping his mind sharp and yeah, just gives us another skill to practice. I think it's a lot of fun. What do you think got you into mounted archery? Actually, it was an interview on horses in the morning. I can't remember it must have been at least three years ago. I can't remember who it was with or exactly what was covered, but I thought that sounds amazing. And I Googled it and I found the nearest club, which was about an hour and a half south of me. So I drug my poor dear husband down for a clinic and I loved it so much. At that point, I figured my options were to either drive an hour and a half for practice on a regular basis or start my own club. So that's what I did. Awesome. I need to get that information and we, we need to talk about that because I think we need a club here in Oklahoma. There are no clubs near me either. So I'm glad that you were able to just make it happen. What are some tips you would give people who are using an off the track thoroughbred and maybe interested in mounted archery? What are some of the, let's see, we've got, I've got an off the track thoroughbred. I'm interested in mounted archery. What's the first thing I need to do? Sure. Well, I walk through about the same uh, steps for desensitization with all of the horses that I have introduced to mounted archery. And, you know, it varies a lot by horse. I've had, I have a, uh, a 20 year old warm blood mare who said, heck no, that's way too scary versus my six year old off the track thoroughbred said, okay, that's, that's no problem. And it took him about 15 minutes to get used to it. Um, so it, it, you know, it varies widely, and I, I think it's all the same kind of basics. The first thing that I usually do is I, I take an arrow or something else swishy, even if you don't have an arrow, maybe a dressage whip that has a, a nice kind of swish to it if you swish it back and forth, and I kind of just make that swish sound all around them. I certainly don't, don't hit them with the arrow or anything like that, but so that they can hear the noise, and that's going to be similar to the noise that the arrow will make when it's released from the bow. 
The other thing that I do is if you have access to a target, is I will, of course, after letting the horse sniff it, I will knock it over a few times and also whack it with the end of your dressage whip or an arrow because that thud is often the scariest part. And then from there, you know, have, have a buddy hold your horse across the arena and every time you take a shot and they don't flinch, walk them a step closer until you're shooting right next to their shoulder. And like everything we do with the horses, make sure you do it from both sides. And from there, I like to shoot over them with the mounting block. And once you can shoot over from both sides uh, with the mounting block over their backs, then you're ready to hop on and go ahead and give it a try. Oh my gosh, you make it sound so easy and fast. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> well, for some horses, like Rocket, my off-the-track thoroughbred, that whole process took about 15 minutes. Wow. He at no point said he was concerned in the slightest, so we just kept going. I've had other horses where that takes up to six or seven, you know, 15, 20-minute sessions of just very incrementally getting them used to it, but virtually every horse tolerates it in their own speed. Yeah, once they also, realize that it's not going to hurt. Definitely, definitely. Also, I'm certainly not above a bribe. I A lot of horses are afraid of the target at first, so I'll put a handful of treats on top of the target, and then, oh boy, suddenly it's their best friend. <laughs> I love that target. I know what I did to get my guys used to the target was I just put it in the round pen. Actually, I put it right outside the round pen, which is panel paneling, and uh, they had, I sent them around both directions several times, and I put it in the round pen. And I sent them around both directions every time and then they didn't care. So one of the biggest problems that I had with my off the track thoroughbred was you can't hold the dang reins and shoot at the same time. So you have to yeah. drop your reins and shoot the target while you're riding along and walk, trot and canter in some instances. So what are some of your tools to get the horses to stay slow and relaxed? Well, that is just one of those things that takes a ton of practice. Uh, for virtually any horse that I would use for mounted archery, the first few dozen times that I would shoot off of them, you would either have someone leading them from the side that you're not shooting the arrow on. <laughs> <laughs> so you have someone lead the horse or, you know, shoot only in a very enclosed space like a small indoor or a round pin and just stay at the walk so that they learn that this is not a go-fast activity. This is a calm activity. And then from there, even if you're shooting several targets in a row, what I will do is uh, maybe three steps of trot, shoot my arrow, back to the walk. Three steps of trot for the next arrow, back to the walk. And it just takes a very long time. I've been doing mounted archery with Rocket now for over a year, and he's just now to the point. Obviously, it's not the only thing we do. So if I were to focus much more of my effort on it, I'm sure we would have gotten here faster. But he is just now to the point where he is dependable enough to drop the reins at the trot and I can shoot several targets in a row and I am confident he won't break into the canner. Wow. That's good. That's, that's cool. That's good to know actually, because with Groot, yeah, I, I, I kind of had to do everything in a rush because we had some sort of like date at the end, some makeover thing to go to. So I was trying to figure out how to do it. And uh, I just never, you know, the trot, he was fine, but the canner, he's still like racehorse cannered, you know, so he pick up the canner and then go into the gallop. So he got a lot better at it, but that was definitely tough too. So that's interesting to know that you still have some issues as well and still, still teaching your guy nice and calmly how to do it. So it seems like patience and and incremental training and just being just kind of desensitizing to everything. Like take whatever you can do and break it down to the 
smallest increment. And that seems to be the success for mounted archery. Absolutely. And also any kind of voice cues that you can build in. Rocket is very responsive to the world cue. You mentioned his nickname is Fat Rocket. He does not look like your typical young thoroughbred. He is a bit of a chunky boy, but as such, he tends to be on the lazy side, which in this case really works in my favor. It's pretty <laughs> easy to just tell him, whoa, and he's usually like, oh, thank God. And uh, <laughs> he'll uh, pretty happily come back down from there. But I think for most horses, you know, walking for mounted archery is fine and galloping for mounted archery in a straight line is pretty fine, but trotting or kind of an easy canter that, that just takes a really long time for most horses. Okay. Yeah. So galloping is really easy to do <laughs> for the horse, Definitely. not so much for the person shooting. Well, this is awesome. Where, if people exactly. are interested in mounted archery, where can they go to find out if there's a club near them or if there's clinics near them? What are the websites? Sure. Well, you can find my club on Facebook under Mounted Archers of the Potomac. Any any communication sent through that page will come directly to me, and we'd love to have anyone in the D.C. metro area come out and join us for practice. To find, if you live elsewhere to find another club, the two main national organizations are Horse Archery USA and Mounted Archery Association of the Americas. And if you Google either of those, their website should come up, which have, you know, maps that show where your nearest club might be. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Lindsay. And give Fat Rocket a smooch on the nose for from Joy and I. I will certainly do that. All right. Bye. Bye-bye. To celebrate the holidays, if you purchase a new bait saddle in November or December, you can redeem a free set of bait saddles competition luggage. Bait saddles offers highly specialized saddles for every discipline engineered to bring out the best in you and your horse. Underneath the finest European leather, you'll feel the power of innovation. For you, the rider, enjoy instantaneous comfort, optimal balance, and seamless contact with your horse, leaving you free to concentrate on your aids. For your horse, the care cushion system and easy change fit solution ensure their absolute comfort and your peace of mind. Revolutionize your riding experience and fulfill your true potential by riding in a bait saddle. Conditions to apply, visit baitsaddles.com to find out more. That's baitsaddles.com. It's time to speak and catch up with our favorite vet here at Retired Racehorse Radio. We've got Dr. Madison Siemens on. Hello, doctor. Hi, guys. How are you? We're fantastic. Thank you so much for coming on. You know, Joy and I were sitting there talking about, okay, what... Do we need to, we're both discussing the different weather. She's up in Michigan and I'm in Oklahoma and there's different weather in different places. And we're talking about all the different things we have to do to prepare our horses for winter. And we just decided we go right to the source. You're in Idaho. You guys have real winter. What? We wanted we to talk had, to you. We have had one or, one or two days of winter here. Yes, we have. Already, huh? Oh, yeah. What's the typical weather like in Idaho before we get to the horses for the winter? How long does it last? What does it look like? Well, Idaho is is, is actually two different states. The the southern part, which is kind of high desert, is which is the, the Treasure Valley. That's that's Boise, and and actually about two thirds of the population of Idaho live here. And then you got the rest of Idaho, which is mostly mountainous, and those winters up there are just brutal. 
So down here in the Treasure Valley, we will have some sub-zero temperatures for, oh, maybe eight nights a year. But the typical, typical winter runs from November through, oh, like February, early March. So it'd be, it'd be 15 degrees at night and 30 to 40 in the daytime. It's not, it's not horrible. We had a pretty nasty one three years ago. But it, as a general rule, it's, it's pretty tolerable compared to Wyoming and Montana and some of those places. Yeah, that sounds tolerable. Not. <laughs> it's like it warms up to 30. So that sounds amazing. Uh, so what are some of the things that your clients do to, yeah, you know, it's trying to take the focus on off-the-track thoroughbreds. We all know that sometimes they can be a little harder to keep than other horses. What are some things that you recommend for all horses and then specifically for off-the-track thoroughbreds when you are preparing for winter? Well, you got you got to understand that 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 a horse will burn twenty to thirty percent of their calories, and when when you get below ambient temperature of about forty degrees, they'll burn twenty percent or more of their calories just trying to stay warm. And so, if you've got a horse that's in poor flesh going into the winter, you're going to really need to be thinking about putting calories in front of that guy. Ideally, you know, before November. But you got to understand that they have a fairly delicate thermal regulatory system. They're big, strong, solid animals, and they can stay in some pretty nasty weather. But and there's some, I'm convinced that there's some breed associations with that. Some of the thinner-skinned Arabians and third-leg type horses, they don't tolerate the winter nearly as good as some of our cold, colder-blooded horses like the drafts. And, and uh, some strains of quarter horses tolerate the winter up here quite well. There's several ranchers here that I'd be worried for that never blanket their horses. And, and, uh, and there are some people that have some of the show horses that have thinner skins and they're, they're in, you know, in a barn with, with blankets on them mm-hmm. all winter long. But you got to understand that, that, that it's kind of a paradox. The grain will actually deliver more calories, but hay will actually produce more heat because the body has to go through more metabolic pathways in order to break the long fiber particles that we see in hay. And that will generate more heat. So if we're going to switch over and do a diet change going into the winter, then with a very few exceptions, I recommend just free choice hay for these guys. I've got my horses are on are on a irrigated pasture, and when the irrigated the irrigation water shuts off, we start to just go ahead and just keep them keeping uh, hay in front of them in a slow feed all the time. And okay. There's some some horses couldn't tolerate that. Some horses would just just be like Michelin man, you know, if you if you meat like that. But a lot of horses can tolerate that very well. So if you've got a metabolic syndrome horse that wants to get fat and has all of the changes and the problems that we see with that, then that's going to be a whole different set of situations. So in your experience for an off-the-track thoroughbred or just a thoroughbred in general, what are some of the things that you would suggest to to take care of that particular breed? Well, I guess... The first thing we've got to consider is is there's a wide variation amongst individuals as far as where they've been, what they've been doing for a living, who's been riding them, how they've been handled, all of these types of things. And we do we see a fair number of these off the track thoroughbreds up here that get that get repurposed as, as hunter jumpers and trail horses and all kinds of things. And you, we've got to understand that some of these horses aren't real broke, and so they're they're trained to go in a straight line, and turn left occasionally, and not real heavy on the brakes. So especially when we get into cooler weather and they're feeling pretty pretty frisky, you know, we need to be really careful about how we handle these horses. And I've seen some people get into some real wrecks with these guys, thinking that they've, you know, they have a jockey on them so they can just bring them home and pile on them and go down the road. And I've, I've, I've seen some, some problems from that. Well, that's definitely good. Is, 
Yeah. That's, I was saying that's definitely an irresponsible retraining program. If you're like, man, jockeys ride them. Let's get on and go while it's winter time yeah. and they have no blanket exactly. on and they're freezing. Terrible idea. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Plus we got, we understand too, that the thoroughbred horses, you know, when they're on the track, they're, they're kept in, they're really confined. They're said really high rations and they don't get a lot of exercise and they're, they're in a whole different environment. And so when we bring them out, of, of the racetrack environment and they put them in a backyard situation, or if we're putting fillies into a breeding situation, we got to understand that that that's a drastic change from what they've been doing. And now we kick them out with a bunch of old broodmares that thump on them like ugly stepchildren. <laughs> so we've got to be very, we got to be very careful about how we handle these, especially the fillies that are coming out because they've been, they've been pampered and fed and didn't have to, didn't have to work, didn't have to take care of themselves with other horses. So, it's a good idea just to, just to be pay real close attention to to our, our herd management. Our, we yeah. have all kinds of personalities. We've got some horses that are very assertive and some horses that are more passive. And and, and you're not going to know this until you know you've, you've had them in your in your group for a while. That herd dynamic changes dramatically every time we add a horse. Fantastic. Is there anything in particular you would say to somebody that has a thinner, kind of colder, tending to be a little colder? So, okay, I'll just give you the scenario. <laughs> I have this horse <laughs> and he, I, we had everybody in the barn and the barn was, you know, we have Dutch doors. So the air goes through. It's very, very um, breezy. You know, the air goes through really nice. And I don't like to close up the barn, but and every horse in the barn was fine. And I came in the morning, it was probably 35 degrees and he was shivering. I didn't blanket anybody because it's still early and it was the coldest night. I wanted to see if it could get a little hair. He was shivering. Everybody else was fine. On a horse like that, what are some recommendations that you would do? Give us the wussy horse recommendations. Well, you got to understand that that shivering is a is a normal physiologic response. Yeah, but it's not any fun. I hate shivering. It means I'm cold. No, no, I'm I'm not either. But what I'm saying (laughs) is that when it's really, really cold and the horse is not shivering, he may be going into shock. So the fact that he's shivering means you're okay for now. But I don't like to see my horses shiver either. And so so when it gets pretty cold out here, you know, we go ahead and blanket them. And so by doing that, you will also help preserve some of those calories that they're burning trying to stay warm. As far as being confined, uh, in most cases, not Alaska, you know, not some of those just where they just got severe environments. Closing them up in a barn, I think we're taking worse. Uh, we're having more of a chance of developing in the respiratory crud because of a lack of ventilation than we are having problems because of heat. So these horses, if, if we have plenty of hay in front of them, we blanket those individuals that are that are a little thin-skinned, thoroughbreds typically, radians, some of those, some horses that are having difficulty maintaining their body weight. These are the kind of horses we really want to go ahead and keep uh, keep those blankets on. But be sure to take them off periodically. Take them off in the day because it's here. If it gets to be 40 degrees, my horses are sweating under those blankets, and that's not a good thing either. So it just takes a bit more management. Some horses are going to need more calories just to maintain their weight. So Fat calories are typically a safer calorie than uh, than a sugar type calorie, so I'm a big fan of the senior type products because they're extruded, meaning that they are already partially digested. We got a lot of rice bran in them, which is very very high in fat, and so that's that's actually the cheapest source of calories. If you're going to spend how many pennies you spend per calorie, the cheapest source of doing that is going to be one of those senior products. And there's there's 
three or four companies that make them nationwide. So, so is it better to have a horse that's a little too cold without a blanket or a horse that's a little too warm with a blanket? Yes, exactly. Which one, which one's worse? No, I, I just think, I think when a horse is sweating under a blanket, then that, that, that turns out to be a more dangerous situation because now when it gets cold at night, now he's chilled because he's got water between the blanket and his, and his skin. Mm. And there was, there, there have been two studies out in the recent 20 or 30 years and some reasonable indications that suggest that perhaps horses can stay warmer in many scenarios without a blanket. There's a little slip of smooth muscle at the base of each of the, of the hairs on the horse's body. It's called a piloerector muscle. And so when it first starts getting cold, you'll notice that the horses look pretty furry, pretty fluffy. And what those piloerector muscles are doing is they're standing those hairs on in, and they're, and they're trapping a cushion of warm air next to their body. And so in two studies, one of them is fairly recent, I mean, within the recent two or three months, suggests that maybe a horse can actually stay warmer without a blanket than they can with a blanket. Well, I'll tell that to my horse. <laughs> you know what, buddy? Yeah, You're going to be warmer without. <laughs> my horses are a bit doubtful about that, too. But, uh, <laughs> you know, the, the loveliness of Siemens wants, them, wants me to blanket them. And all she has to do is just that those baby blue eyes of hers, and I'm just a puddle. So that's oh, what yeah. I do. That, and so, that's a good boy. Well done. Yeah, well, just, I. I think you need to not be locked in the barn. You sound like you've got the respiratory crud too. So I will not keep you any longer. I'm sure Mrs. Seamus would like for you to come to dinner. So leaving you, remember, Dr. Siemens is a published author, but it's a funny book and it's called Never Trust a Sneaky Pony and Other Things They Didn't Teach Me in Vet School, correct? Yes, ma'am. And it's just kind of what it says, right? It's just stuff they never taught you in vet school. It's a good one. You can get it get it through my website, which is cornerstoneequine.com. Only one E between Cornerstone and Equine. We ship out the uh, same day we get the order. So, Fantastic. Well, Dr. Siemens, thank you for coming on and uh, talking to us about winter prep for the thoroughbred. Thanks a bunch. And from the back of the pack on the outside, commanding curve is taken second. But California Chrome shines right in the Kentucky Derby. And now it's time for the New Vocations Winner's Circle Adoptable Horse of the Week. It's time for the Winner's Circle Adoptable Horse of the Week. And this one will, I, I don't know, I was going to try to come up with something clever with his name, but his name is so unique and he's not gray. His name is Color Me Pegasus. Color Me Pegasus, and uh, he is a ginormous 16 2 hand, solid built chestnut gelding. He is a stunner, Leandra. Yes, he definitely is an eye catcher. And I think that Pegasus terminology certainly applies to him and his just grandoise image, although it may not be what we all think of when you think of a Pegasus, but he has that presence to him that is, as I like to say, truly magical so i think he's still i think the name fits him it, it it does he is one of those very classic looking thoroughbreds to me his face and his headset he's uphill he's got great confirmation he just looks like a classic i don't i haven't seen him move i haven't watched his videos but he seems like a classic hunter type is it would i be correct in assuming that 
Absolutely. I could see him in a hunter ring, no problem. And he also is one that you would see and think he's right at home in a hunt field. That's what I was thinking. Like classic fox hunter, you know? Definitely. Yeah, he's big boned. He's got big barrel, big chest, big, solid, healthy looking legs. Uh, Now, tell us a little bit about his name is Color Me Pegasus or a.k.a. The Colonel. Give us a little bit about him in the barn. Well, the Colonel was actually the nickname that he came with, and it still suits him so well because, again, he just is that uh, he is an effortless authority and he just he's the boss. But he really does have kind of a big dog personality. He has a really soft eye. He has a really easygoing nature to him. He's not loud about anything. He has this really quiet presence. He is cool as a cucumber cucumber in any situation, just calm, cool, and collected. And he never has to seem like he does anything with effort. So he can go in the turnout and all the horses respect him, but he doesn't have to do anything. He just kind of has that presence. He's the colonel. He's the colonel. He's just the (laughs) colonel. My favorite story about him though, and I love to tell this, is that the first ride that I got on him, I had used pipe cleaners to attach a headband with a unicorn horn on the (laughs) crown piece of his bridle. And he... I think it was the most easy transition for he didn't even blink at all. He was like, yep, this is meant to be here. So <laughs> I just love that story because I think it tells so much about his personality where he just, he has this presence of, yes, of course, the unicorn horn belongs on my head and Obviously. doesn't scare him at all. Well, where can people go to find out more about Color Me Pegasus? You can go to our website, newvocations.org, and check out the available horses. Also, I believe there's a link to it, horseadoption.com, if you need to check that out as well. Color Me Pegasus, Leandra, as always, it's a pleasure having you on. Thank you for bringing us our Winner's Circle Adoptable Horse of the Week from New Vocations. Thank you so much for having me. Well, you can find our show notes and links to today's guests on the website at retiredracehorseradio.com. Like us on Facebook and Instagram. Just search for Retired Racehorse Radio. Follow us on Twitter at Horse Radio. You can email me, Jamie, at horseradionetwork.com or joy at horseradionetwork.com. Or you can follow her on Instagram at Joy H. Equestrian. Thanks to our sponsors, Kentucky Performance Products, Cashel Products, and Bait Saddles. Don't forget to check out all the other shows on the Horse Radio Network at horseradionetwork.com. My personal favorite other show is Horses in the Morning. And don't forget people, spay, neuter, and geld. <laughs>